previously on Hacker Valley Blue. Uh, you guys are really good with questions. <laughs> That's a really good question. Even though you are trying to instrument chaos, you are not trying to inflict chaos on your company. We learned all these great things when there was no crisis. That's the power of this stuff. Do the expectations uh, that you have and assumptions about your security hold true? This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged and need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned and that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time was the enemy of cybersecurity until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Check them out by visiting axonius.com. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Hacker Valley Blue. In this episode, we've brought in John Strand, owner of Black Hills Information Security. John has done it all, he has seen it all, and in this episode, John shares his war stories, his success stories, and also his stories of educating others. He also provides great training, which we talk about a bit in this episode, and without further ado, let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, repping Hacker Valley Season Blue, themed Know Thyself. And we've brought in a guest this episode that I think embodies knowing thyself. He's been in the trenches. He has taught others how to be in the trenches of cybersecurity. Our guest this episode is John Strand, owner of Black Hills Information Security, SANS instructor, and mentor to many in the cybersecurity industry. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. John, when we were pulling together Know Thyself, we thought there would be no one better than to talk to you because there's so many facets of your life, of your career that have to do with knowing thyself, whether you're talking about an organization, a security posture, or the individual. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, let's hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. So I'm the owner of Black Hills Information Security. We specialize in doing um, network penetration testing, threat hunting, incident response. We also do security operations services. I am also co-owner of Active Countermeasures. We create a product that detects beacons, uh, malicious command and control beacons uh, called AC Hunter. There's an open source version called RITA, Real Intelligence Threat Analytics, so check that out. And then we're also doing a con, Wild West Hacking Fest, and we do training. And we've gotten into the training game last year due to COVID. So we've been doing a lot of very simple two-day affordable training for people. John, what I love about your background is that you've done a bit of everything, it sounds like. You, you're very familiar with the basics and even very familiar with the more advanced topics like penetration testing and intrusions. 
would love to hear a bit about your philosophy or your core tenets on the fundamentals. What are some of those things that you think a lot of cybersecurity practitioners, if not all, really need to develop a skill or at least an understanding in? I did a, a webcast online called Your Five-Year Plan. And you can just Google my name, five-year plan, it'll take you right to it. And it basically breaks down, and it was designed for college students, right? So if you want to get to the point where you're in your career and you really want to do well, you have to understand operating system fundamentals. We have too many people in the industry that are like, oh, I just love Windows because it's got a GUI. I don't like Linux because it seems scary to me. Or the other way around. I just use Linux because Windows is dumb. You can't look at uh, at your operating system as a political or religious calling. It is merely a collection of <laughs> tools, right? So you got to know Windows as well as you know anything else. And you got to know Linux really, really well. And then I move into some other things. Like you got to know networking, right? Like you got to know TCP IP, the ideas of routing and switching. You got to know those fundamental core components of how those things work. And then I get into it's time to start learning a coding la coding language, which I think is the greatest barrier for people kind of elevating their career. And you know, learn Python, right? Learn Golang, go out and learn a development coding language so you can express yourself in code and start a GitHub repository, start giving talks, uh, presentations, even if no one shows up, right? As much as you can. Because I, I, I got to stress anybody that's listening, like <laughs> you may hate writing, but if you're coming into computer security, you're going to learn to love it. Uh, you're going to have to. <laughs> Uh, to be successful because a lot of computer security isn't just about bits and bytes. It's really about effectively communicating what needs to be done to the right people. People are probably thinking like, this is Hacker Valley Blue. Why are we bringing someone that's so versed in pen testing onto this season? But I think of knowing thyself, there's nothing that can teach you more than a pen test or a good red team because it shows you the things that you didn't know about yourself. I'd love to hear a story about you helping someone discover that stuff about their security posture or their security program. So I'm going to go way back because getting a bit nostalgic. So whenever I was working at the Department of Interior with Accenture, way at the beginning of my career, I remember they brought, brought me in and they're like, oh, it's time for you to do security. I was going out and reading the Hacking Exposed books because this is, this is a long time ago. Like we're talking like 2000 time frame. I, don't, I didn't know much of anything about anything at that point. So I'm sitting there reading these books and trying to like take in as much as I can. And you know, I knew exploit development, but this stuff got a lot more complicated, like taking advantage of like SMB on Windows systems was a little bit more complicated. And I remember sitting down and talking with a customer and I realized that my IP address on my workstation at the customer network wasn't an RFC 1918 IP address, which means it wasn't like 192.168 or 172.16 or 10.10 or whatever. It was a publicly routable IP address down to the desktop. Mm. And I remember I was like, this seems bad. Mm -hmm. Like if we're handing out DHCP leases of publicly routable IP addresses, that's a very bad thing. And I remember the customer was like, yeah, well, we have enough IPs. I mean, we got them. We got all the IPs. We can just give everyone publicly routable IP address. And then we don't have to worry about network address translation or any of those things. <laughs> and I realized that all these workstations were connected directly to the internet with no firewall. So talking with a customer, they were like, yeah, this seems like this could be bad, I guess. I'm like, literally a hacker can just come in and just start attacking your workstations. This is, this is actually horrific. 
They're like, oh, okay, that does seem bad. <laughs> and we started digging. And because their entire network was directly exposed to the open internet, um, the state of Colorado's office for government facilities was routing all of their traffic, just by the way that routing worked, they weren't doing it maliciously or anything, through the Department of Interior's network space. Um, so just from the bandwidth costs, once we were able to put up net and set up all these things with private IP addresses, all of a sudden they started saving money on the bandwidth side. And yeah, that's an offensive thing. I'm like, I can attack this desktop, but boy, whenever you learn like those types of mistakes, it kind of starts to change things for an organization. So that's an old school story. Hopefully people don't run into that type of problem <laughs> at all ever again. Hopefully not. I'm interested to hear more war stories now that, you know, hearing this one, what's maybe the most recent war story that you've dealt with or experienced when it comes to the defensive side of the house? On the defensive side, oh my yep. gosh! So ransomware is just like everywhere, and it's it, it, this is horrible. It's boring to me, um, <laughs> mainly because it, it, it's not like this novel technical thing. Like if you have like something like Spectre or Meltdown or some type of new vulnerability and something, everyone gets excited because it's technically novel. And I kind of gravitate towards those types of issues, right? I, I think that that's just great, but my gosh, ransomware is so pervasive. And it's interesting, kind of setting up your theme is know thyself. And it's interesting, the quickest way to know yourself is to get burned, right? So we always have the analogy of, you know, <laughs> how do you learn the frying pan is hot? Well, you reached up, you touched the frying pan, you burnt yourself, and you learned that frying pan was hot. With ransomware, it's very, very similar, right? You find out that frying pan is hot and all of a sudden hacking and security and everything is very, very much visceral, right? You got burnt by ransomware, you got compromised, it had a direct impact to your organization and it hurt your company. And it's not something that's this theoretical red team can say that they could do X, Y, and Z. It literally happened against your company. So you learned real quick what your security limitations were. So one of the things I like to say with ransomware and the cases that we're working is I believe that ransomware has done more to further the state of computer security than any audit and compliance document, any type of certification and accreditation program that has ever existed, simply because people have learned the frying pan was hot and they learned. I think about those organizations that are kind of like that kid in dodgeball. They're not really good at it. So they're going to try to hide in the back and hopefully no one sees them and throws a ball their way, but <laughs> that's inevitably going to happen. So what would you say to those yeah. organizations that need to become more proactive and see where those weak spots are to protect themselves from something like ransomware? This becomes self-serving, um, <laughs> but you know, getting getting a pen test is always a helpful step, right? Because you could have somebody literally launch those attacks and identify those weaknesses and those vulnerabilities before the bad people do. Because you're going to get tested, right? I mean, you're going to get tested. You can either be control of that test, where you know you're, you're working with a pen test or a security assessment team, or you can have the attackers run it for you. So you're going to get tested one way or the other. You really, really, really want to choose the option that you have more control over. So imagine this, right? You were giving a pen test to a company and you, you go through all of your usual things in your tool belt. What is that one Hail Mary item that you, you look at during pen tests that 
is sometimes not there, but more often than not is there. What's that that gap that we can all learn from? Oh my gosh, it's passwords. If you look at <laughs> if you if you look at uh, anybody that's been doing security for a really long time, um, I've heard similar stories from Ed Scotus, from Chris Gates, from Mubix, you know, from Egypt. There's <laughs> we almost all have these stories where there's some type of consistent theme where there's a junior aspiring pen tester, right? And they're like, so um, I, I found this memory link in this Telnet uh, port and I was able to keep hitting that memory link and dumping the memory off. And then I went through the memory dump and then I basically parsed through the memory itself. And then once I got into that memory, I was able to actually find the password and then I was able to log into that device. I'm like, great, what was that device? They're like, ah, it was a camera. I'm like, okay. And they're like, how did you do it? Well, I broke into the entire organization and took them over before lunch. And they're like, how? Because their CEO is using a password of season and year. They're like, what? So it's kind of like you have these people that are getting started and they think that you've got to be a wizard and pressing another wizard. Uh, But there are so many times that you break into an organization and they're using a password of password one, two, three, um, or company name one, two, three, or season and year. And you get in through those things. And it's just like, Every time it happens, every time it happens, you're like, it's not going to happen this time. Oh, yeah, it did. It happened. Um, So it's always there. I I don't want to say it's a Hail Mary, um, but it's like a Hail Mary that just always works. And uh, it's just I'm hoping that we get better at some point about that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and that's what the attackers take advantage of. Path of least resistance. Speaking of passwords, there's been such a change in the philosophy of passwords in general. And some people are trying to go away from passwords altogether. First, they told us, oh, we need all these special characters. It needs to be 16 characters long and it needs to be changed every 90 days. And then someone said, I think that's crazy. Let's just do a longer passphrase. What is your personal philosophy Mm -hmm. on passwords today? Passphrases. It's two things I'd recommend. One of them makes me very nervous, but passphrases. Like if you can type in a series of four or five words and still throw, you know, a, a number and a special character somewhere in there, and, and you can use dictionary words. That's fine. That's okay. But when you're dealing with passwords, the biggest thing that matters is length, right? If you're going to crack passwords, it can take to the heat death of the universe to crack a password that's 20 characters long. And you know, Rob Fuller or Mubix has a great philosophy whenever it comes to passwords. Um, he says the thing that we need to do is incentivize users. So what he means by that is you can have a password that's that's like nine, ten characters long. But if you're in that particular group, you're going to have to change your password once every 30 days. You're going to have to have all these additional restrictions on your account, and you're going to have a lot more security restrictions. However, If you move your password up, if you want to be in the security group that has 21 character passwords, then you change your password once per year. Um, Think about how awesome that would be. So kind of creating those incentives for the end users to choose to be in the higher security area. And I also think it's funny whenever you're talking about passwords and password length, I had this one presentation that I was giving. We had this company that we, we did a pen test on, and I was telling people, you should make your passwords like 20 characters long. And I I told them it upper, lowercase, alphanumeric, special character, all those things. But you can use dictionary words. So, you know, you can come up with a passphrase that can be like the first line in a song or, you know, something like that, right? Just something along that that line that's easy for you to remember. And I remember this one lady was like, so you want me to sit down every day and type 20 characters 
to log into my computer system. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to fight this. Uh, this is going to, I'm going to have to fight this. But the CEO stepped in and said, excuse me, just quick question. If you typing an additional 10 characters in your keyboard impacts your overall workload by any definable percentage, we need to have a conversation about what you're doing during the day. Because, you know, if that's like, well, that just doubled my workload. So you're saying you only type like 10 word, 10 characters a day? So it's kind of changing that perception and getting that buy-in. Um, and there's complexities, right? Like you have two-factor authentication, you have medical and emergency systems. There's a lot of complications when you're dealing with that. But by and large, for most users, passphrases are the way to go. The other thing that I feel uncomfortable about is password managers. When you have passwords, a lot of passwords to a variety of different things, um, password managers are so much more secure than using the exact same password again and again <laughs> and again. But password managers make me uncomfortable. Like we just had the password manager, I can't remember what the name was, but it was like last week, yep. like 20,000 of their accounts were exposed. So I have trouble with that mentally putting all my eggs in one basket, but it's better than reusing the exact same password again and again. I wanted to double click a bit on the multi-factor authentication. I think that a lot of organizations, a lot of security practitioners, that's one of the first things that they'll go after. They'll say, hey, I'm going to just enable MFA and hopefully 90% of my problems go away if I can't protect these passwords. What are some of the shortcomings of, of thinking that way or is that actually a sound strategy? It is actually a very sound strategy. Every single type of two-factor authentication can be bypassed, right? If you're looking at token-based authentication, you can use uh, services like Evil Jinx or Evil Nginx, sometimes people refer to it, to basically intercept that user ID, password, and two-factor authentication code. SMS, you can basically annoy the hell out of the user where you keep hitting them with updates, like, are, are you trying to log in? Are you trying to log in? Respond with one, respond with one, respond with one. Eventually someone will say, screw it, one, and they'll, they'll get in. Um, U2FA for YubiKeys, um, you can set up a proxy that basically is proxying that communication for two-factor, and you're telling the service on the other side that you're an iPad, and the iPad, it'll say, oh, well, you're an iPad, you can't use a YubiKey, so we'll just ignore that for you. So there's a number of different ways to bypass every single one of those things, but here's the problem. Um, oh, and SIM cloning for two-factor on phones. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. In the security community, in the offensive world, we tend to look at things like, can I break it? It's kind of like those old commercials, will it blend, where they put in an iPhone and they blend it, <laughs> and it always blends. But you have people all the time in the community, and I'm guilty of this too, where they talk about a security thing and they say, oh, I can bypass that. And it's almost like, well, I can bypass it. It's crap, right? And that's kind of a horrible way to live. Um, there's a fundamental difference between me gaining access to an environment through a handful of people we were able to successfully fish and get their two-factor authentication credentials. And being able to password spray without two-factor authentication and get access to hundreds of accounts over a couple of weeks. So we've, we're always looking at it. Like everything is going to have failure points in computer security. And so computer security is like architecture. If you look at your building, every single two by four, every single beam, every single truss that you have has a failure point. That's the way engineers work. They know how these things fail, but they design the architecture in such a way that if they fail, it doesn't necessarily lead to a catastrophic failure of the entire architecture. 
And in computer security, we need to come to grips with the fact that everything has failure points. We design it with those failure points in mind, and then we have backup compensating controls. So if all of a sudden we have two-factor authentication gets bypassed, now we have a user that's logged on in two separate locations, we need to alert. We have one of those authentications is in another country that that user doesn't normally deal with. It locks that account out. So we got to constantly have those compensating controls to catch those failures when they happen. This reminds me of a parable. I call it good or bad, who knows, but I don't know the exact name of the story, but it's basically about this farmer and it seems like this good stuff is happening, but then it ends up being bad and then something bad will happen and it ends up being good. Like one part of the story is that the farmer was given a horse like, oh, wow, what great fortune you have. And he says, good or bad, who knows? The son gets up on the horse, rides it, breaks his leg. And then everyone's like, oh, that's so terrible. He says, good or bad, who knows? But then the armies come in and say, hey, we're taking all able-bodied sons to war. And the son couldn't go because he had a broken leg. But still, good or bad, who knows? Just like MFA. Uh, oh, yeah, that's great. But supply chain attack and then all of a sudden, not so good. If you had to design an MFA right here on Hacker Valley Studio on the spot, how would you design it to be a little bit harder than general? Well, the first thing I would do is I'd have a service where somebody would get on a horse and ride to your house and <laughs> ask you if this is you logging in. No. So, you know what? I would design MFA exactly like all the MFAs that are out there, right? Tokens, great. Cell phone, great. SMS, great. And I know there's people listening to this like, how dare he say SMS is great. <laughs> sure is a hell of a lot better than not having it, right. right? It's basically, it does not matter to me. I do not care because it's going to make breaking into an organization exponentially more difficult, no matter which one you have. So I would say the existing ones are perfectly fine. You just need to have some controls in place to watch for whenever they get compromised. So we're talking about know thyself. What is something that security teams should start doing today to know their postures just a little bit better than they did yesterday? Oh, wow. That one came out of, um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, they do one thing to know better. You could go down the standard route, run a vulnerability scan, right? I think, I think that there's some, there's some value in actually doing that. But I think if you look honestly, at something like the mid to high 90s of the attacks that hit your organization, it's going to be from a spear phishing attack. I mean, it just is, right? You know, we talk about all these different things, but at the end of the day, it's getting someone to click a link. I would say sit down and develop a spear phishing campaign. There's a bunch of very inexpensive services out there that you can do spear phishing uh, against your organization. There's open source tools um that allow you to do spear phishing against your organization if you're running office 365 it's actually built in um, i think it's like el3 or 5 i can't remember but you can enable it and you can literally spear fish your users from office you will know yourself really quickly you, you know you, when you run that you're going to very quickly identify what percentage of your organization is going to click on links and when you do that i, I recommend you don't punish those users right like if somebody clicks a link you don't ever go to that user and say, well, why did you click this link? You're an idiot. Arr, arr. You need to focus on your educational and awareness program and develop one that actually makes sense for securing your organization. So if you're going to get hacked, that's how you're going to get hacked, right? You're going to get hacked by someone clicking a link. The other thing I would recommend for knowing yourself is fire up Zeek at the edge of your network, run a packet capture or a Zeek capture on egress traffic that's leaving your network and then run it through something like Rita. Like I said, Rita is free, real intelligence threat analytics, and see what's beaconing and leaving your environment. You're gonna be surprised to find that you're gonna have TeamViewer, you're gonna have 
go to log me in. You're going to have all these different things that are running in your environment. And it's a great way to learn what is on your environment by watching what leaves your environment. Um, but I would start with the spear phishing and then I'd move in. Let's run a packet capture uh, with something like Zeek pre-network address translation. And you're going to uh, you're going to learn about some things that are probably going to scare you. <laughs> I think the best part about this episode and even this season is sometimes it's all about the basics. It's all about the things that have worked previously that still work today, unfortunately, like spear phishing, like password uh, uh, guessing and whatnot. What do you see in the future? Do you in the future do you still see these basic issues becoming the same problem or do you see new problems arising across the horizon? I see a lot of new problems arising because of convergence of the existing problems we never took care of. If you look at one key tenant of computer security, complexity is the enemy of computer security. And security is constantly trying to catch up and protect against yesterday's attacks. I mean, that's just the way it works. And when you're looking out to the future, uh, like the idea of Internet of Things, everyone talks about that. But Internet of Things is monstrous, right? I mean, we're now, you know, we joke about an IP-enabled toaster. Well, that's not a joke. That, that literally happens, right? And the complexity of everything that we're doing, whenever you're talking about tracking of individuals and what websites they go to, you're talking about tracking where they physically are going, you're talking about Microsoft Hello, where your phone automatically logs you into your devices whenever you get close, you start talking about smart homes, you start talking about a smart power grid, which is something we have to do. Like we have to do the smart power grid because running our grid system the way it was designed 60 years ago is not going to be tenable as we move forward into the future. So the future is more connected, it's more complicated. And the problem is we still have people that use weak passwords. We still have people that click on links from strangers. And ultimately, when we're looking at that future, you're gonna see the exact same problems that we've always had complicated on a much, 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 much larger scale as things get more and more pushed to the cloud. There'll be no shelter here. The front line is everywhere. In the world of computer security, boy, we never even got to the point where we were locking down Active Directory really well before we started pushing everything to the cloud. And the cloud is changing like every freaking week. So we've got real problems and it requires people addressing and kind of diving in and trying to learn these new technologies. And I'm afraid that we don't teach them I'm afraid that people don't learn them at the level that they should. At the beginning of the season, we had a Sun Tzu quote. We're paraphrasing. Uh, if you know thy enemy and you know thyself, you need not worry the result of a hundred battles. And when we're talking about knowing thy enemy and we're talking about knowing thyself, what piece of advice would you have for that person that's listening right now that wants to just get a little bit better and be more effective in cybersecurity? So there's a couple of things. One, the Center for Internet Security has these guides, hardening applications, right? How to harden Apache, how to harden Exchange, how to harden Windows, how to harden Linux. They're really worthless at stopping a lot of attacks. They, I, I, just, I just think they are. That's kind of the way we thought about stuff in 2000. But what you will do is you'll learn your systems, right? You're going to learn where your log files are. You're going to learn what services and ports are open. You're going to learn the configuration settings that can bite you in the butt. Go and get those guides and start going through those guides for any of the applications that you run in your environment, right? Um, so go out and start doing that. The second thing is start watching attacks, right? CISA has a great blog um, where they basically release these advisories and these alerts, and they cross-reference everything back to the MITRE attack techniques that were utilized. 
And that is great for you to learn what are the attacks that are hitting organizations today? How do those attacks manifest? So you can see those techniques showing up again and again and again. So if you want to get better, you want to understand the offense, you go to CISA and start learning the techniques that are being utilized and learn them at MITRE and learn them in your own environment. And then the other thing is learn your own networks. Just learn your own networks. What is on your network? What are the core applications? And uh, just really digging into the guides to learn as much as you can about your infrastructure. John, this was incredible. We're definitely going to have to have you back on the podcast. We want to dive a little bit into your background. So many fascinating stories that you have and such a wealth of knowledge and experience. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, the things that you have going on with Black Hills and your courses, what are the best ways that people can stay up to date with you? I'm StrandJS on Twitter, and I get just a little bit of affirmation. I feel like a more complete human being the more people that follow me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I hate to do that social media stuff. I'm on LinkedIn. I know we have a lot of people that are on LinkedIn because Twitter is a dumpster fire. Then the other thing is just our blog at BlackHillsInfosec.com. We will be sure to drop all of those resources in the show notes. John, thank you so much for coming on Hacker Valley Blue. Know thyself. Can't wait till we get to do it again. We'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.